You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, good morning, church. Are you enjoying this weather? Yeah. Everybody? Fantastic. Well, I knew I was taking a slight risk this morning by having a title like this. We've had amazing weather these last few days, and if you're visiting here, this is what our weather is always like. It is. Come on. Absolutely. Well, it is in here. Sometimes it's a bit dodgy out there, but, you know, we live in Scotland, and we expect weather that is Scottish weather. But we're looking for rain this morning. Oh, there wasn't too many amends there, but there you go. (laughs) I have to tell you too, I see that rain is coming. I see that rain's coming in its natural form. And the weatherman told me today, 50% chance of rain at five o'clock. And I want you to know absolutely and definitely, and I'm telling you all, it is not my fault. (laughs) I know I'm looking at this, but it is not my fault. You know, we we don't think about praying for rain, looking for rain, because it just comes very naturally, doesn't it? We live in Scotland. And I can't remember a time when I've ever prayed for rain. I know Margaret Bennett does, but that's a different story. can't remember a time when I prayed for rain. Normally my prayer is because I'm going somewhere or it's going to be the fair day or something. It's please God, please don't let it rain. Okay. And I know along with uh, Margaret Bennett and some of you other gardeners, you do pray for rain. But even Margaret Bennett will tell you she prays for it at night so that during the day it is lovely. That's what we want. I know that having rain really makes our country beautiful. I remember a long, long time ago, um, Margaret's aunt came from Namibia and she just went on and on and on about how green our country was. Now, some of you come from countries like that as well. Um, You've made your home here and we're so glad about that, but we know you've come from countries where there isn't a lot of rain. And you know, you know those countries. I remember her saying that it was because Namibia was so so brown. It was always brown, but our country was so so green. And I love that it's green, but also would much prefer it to be sunny all the time. Anyway, when we lived in Israel, it would be scorching hot. It started about well, it was always quite warm, but. It started about the end of April and it would go until the end of October and there literally was no rain. You knew it wouldn't rain. You could plan things outside, it never was going to rain. And personally, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Do you know, we had a a staff meeting, a a senior leadership team meeting the other day um, up at Graham's and we we had it outside. And at one point I thought I was being interviewed because I was there in the sun. And they were there, across here, in the shade. 
And I thought, what is wrong with these people? No, Tom wasn't. Tom was kind of half in and half out, but pretty, story of my life. pretty covered. <laughs> okay. Um, so when we were in Israel, of course, we'd come home. We'd come home July and August um, because it was the school holidays, and we would get the rain. Without fail, it would rain during that time. And then we'd go back to Israel for the start of September for school starting. And when we went back to live there, we went back to church there. And back to church was All Nations Church. And as soon as we got back there, beginning of September, we were being encouraged to pray for rain. Now, I could never bring myself to pray for rain. I never <laughs> could do it. So although the pastor was there and he was giving us his, his all because the, la the land really needed the rain, I just couldn't do it. So I admit to you, Pastor, pastor Dan, Pastor Seth, I am so sorry, but I never did what you said. I never prayed for rain. It just seemed wrong to me somehow. So my title today that I want to take you to is looking for rain. But remember, when it happens at five o'clock, it's not my fault. <laughs> so the Bible tells us about a man who prayed very, two very distinct prayers about rain. He prayed very simply. Number one, it won't rain. Number two, it will rain. Now you don't get more simple than that, do you? And both those prayers were answered. There was a drought in the land. And after um, three and a half, after the first prayer, sorry, and then after three and a half years, the rain came. And the man, of course, is Elijah. And I'm sure um, a lot of you know a huge amount about Elijah, but I thought I would just go and look and see what I could find out about Elijah. See what the Bible says. So the books of Kings is where we um, read about Elijah in scripture. We know that he was a man of God. He was a prophet. He was a well-respected major Old Testament prophet and he lived in Israel. And he spoke whatever God told him to speak. Didn't matter what it was, he brought it to whoever. And mostly to people in authority and mostly to the king. He wasn't in awe of anyone except the Lord God Almighty. And the king at this time was Ahab, and he was an extremely wicked king who wasn't in the least bit interested in hearing what God had to say. But that didn't stop Elijah. He still went to him, still told him what was what. You know, a number of years ago, I got an invitation to the Queen's Garden Party. I'm sure a good number of you have been to that. But, you know, when I got that invitation, I thought long and hard about what I was going to wear, how I would have to act. You actually got a wee letter that told you exactly what you had to do. So ladies all had to have a hat. quite like a hat sometimes, though, so it was fine. But I thought about it. I thought... And then I realized that the queen wasn't thinking about me at the time. I was thinking about her, but she wasn't thinking anything about me. And it was highly unlikely I would get any, even a sideward glance. And do you know what? I was right. I was right. Didn't happen. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, although I have to tell you, I did get pulled into the center to speak to Prince Philip. Why was I chosen? because the lady next to me knew the Lord Lieutenant. The woman that I was with knew the Lord Lieutenant, and they were the ones that were bringing people in to speak to uh, Prince Philip. If you ask me later, I'll tell you what he said, but he was very nice. I was invited another time, and I went with Dave. This time, 
We didn't even get to the circle, never mind the centre. I'm sorry, my darling. That's how it goes, eh? However, it's still a great honour to be invited to the Royal Garden Party. And we, we certainly couldn't just decide that we'd go and tell the Queen something and we'd get into her presence. It doesn't happen. But Elijah didn't stop to think anything except that he had to bring the Lord's message to the king. Now, it wasn't, it's always nice when the Lord speaks to us and he tells us we're doing really well. But it wasn't a message like that. It wasn't a well done. It was to tell him exactly how angry God was with him and what God was going to do. Now, he was a very wicked king and he did many things that were absolutely abhorrent to God. And this is what 1 Kings 16 says about him, about King Ahab says he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidonians, and he began to serve Baal and to worship him. This is the king of Israel, God's own people. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings before him. And there had been some wicked kings before him. And this is the king that God charges Elijah to go to and confront him about his blatant sinning. He's to say, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except after, except after my word. Talk about taking your life in your hands. It was a very pleasant experience going to the garden party. I don't think this was a pleasant experience for Elijah. Indiana Jones, John might have been a great adventurer, but Elijah is the man. Certainly the man for this moment. So Elijah did as God told him to do. He went to the king, he gave the message, and then he scarpered. Don't blame him. He got out of the way as soon as possible. And God told him where to go to stay out of the way of the king he was, as the drought was, was going to begin. And remember, there's not even going to be dew. No rain at all, and no, not even dew. Selwyn Hughes says this, at the end of a long line of evil rulers in the land, like a ray of sunshine comes a man who's walking with God. He alone has the courage to confront the evil king of Israel, Ahab. He believes God and he trusts him completely. You see, Elijah believed God was who he said he was. He knew God. He trusted God. He knew that God would do whatever he said he was going to do. He knew that God was far more powerful than Ahab and it was much more important that he listened to God rather than to Ahab. The other thing he knew was he knew his position in God. He knew that God would never let him down. He knew that God was for him. You know, we're talking hundreds of years before Jesus came and yet Elijah was able to stand in God's presence knowing that he was a child of God knowing he was a child of God. And so he willingly went into partnership with God and he went about the business, his, his business of doing whatever God told him to do with complete confidence that comes from knowing that he was acting in God's name. He could say, this is what God says. 
because he had complete faith that what God had told him would come to pass. What else do we know about um, Elijah? Well, he was a miracle worker. We see God do extraordinary things through him and for him. Here's just one example. When he ran from Ahab after prophesying the drought, God told him to hide in the Kerith ravine, where he's fed by ravens. Now, the only time I've seen ravens, I have to say, is in the Tower of London, where there's always ravens. Uh, yeah, but when I see ravens there, they're always being fed. They're not feeding anybody else. So, you know, this is, this is God just showing exactly what he's about. They're coming and bringing food to Elijah. Elijah's not feeding them. When the brook runs dry, and it does run dry, he's sent to a widow and her son. Oh, they're on their last legs. She's got a little oil and a little bit of flour, and she's going to make a little cake, and then she doesn't know what's going to happen because that's the last. There's nothing else for her. But we know from, from 1 Kings 17, we know that our flour and our oil never runs out, never runs out all the time that Elijah's with her, and he's with her until God says there's going to be rain. Tragedy struck while he was there, though, and this widow's son died. And, and of course, she's extremely upset, and, and there's almost a blame as she's saying, we helped you, but what's happening? And what did God do? Through Elijah, he brings him back to life. And that's, all in first, that, that's only in one chapter in First Kings. What else do we know about Elijah? Well, here's a cracker. He didn't actually die. Didn't die at all. The Bible tells us that we're all going to die, and that's our experience. Don't like it, but, you know, we're, we're, all, going to, we're all going to die. He didn't die. 2 Kings 2 and 11 tells us about a chariot of fire and a, um, horses of fire appearing, and Elijah's taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. That would have been some sight, wouldn't it? Elisha made sure he saw it because then he got the mantle. That's another story. But what a way to go. He was one special man because he had tremendous faith. There's just one more thing I want to tell you about Elijah before we move on, and that's that he's in the New Testament as well. In Matthew 17 and 3, we, we hear the story about Jesus going up a high mountain, and he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And there, Jesus is transfigured in front of them. He's described as shining like the sun. It must have been an amazing sight, and it was transformational for these disciples. But not only is he he's there shining like the sun, but then two men come along to talk to him, Moses and Elijah. He's there. So that's Elijah that we're looking at this morning, a prophet, a miracle worker, no, no death, straight to heaven, and seen talking with Jesus all these years later. And he's the man that is sent to King Ahab to say it's not going to rain. Now, one spectacular man, we'd have to say, how could we ever be anything like this? But let me read you what the Apostle James says about Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. You got that? That's a wow moment. He was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. 
Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. That's a, that's a very condensed story, but oh my goodness, the part that really gets to me is a man just like us. So I want you to keep that thought in mind as we come to our scripture reading, which is in 1 Kings. Thanks, Susan. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip on to uh, verse 41. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. And then verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Yeah, hallelujah. So let's just have a, a look at what happened in those three, well, it's coming to the end of those three and a half years, and then about what God is saying to us about looking for rain. So there's three things. The droughts to end, there's a demonstration of God's power, and then there is drenching rain. Three Ds, drought, demonstration, drenching. So first of all, there's drought in the land. There's physical drought as well as uh, spiritual drought. And boy, was there spiritual drought. It was a terrible time in the land of Israel, God's own chosen people. And that drought, it didn't come on its own. It brought, it brought famine. No wet water meant that there was no crops. People were wasting away. Hundreds of people had died. The land was in a terrible terrible state and people were really suffering but down in the Kerith ravine just east of Jordan the prophet who prophesied this great devastation of the land this great hardship he's there by a brook and that brook is providing water for him and the ravens are bringing him food until the brook runs dry but straight away there's another miracle waiting for him You know, people of God, even when the brook runs dry, God has a thousand ways to answer your needs. Sometimes he uses our present need of supply to be cut off because there's something bigger and better to move on to. But you know, he never cuts you off completely and he will never stop his care for you. We just have to trust him. God's provision is unaffected by drought. The drought is hard, but God's provision is always there. Philippians 4 and 19 says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So what are those glorious riches? 
He's the son of God. The earth is his. Everything that happens, he has a hand on. The whole earth is his. He can meet all our needs all the time. When spiritual droughts come, and if you're not going through one, I can assure you, you definitely will at some point. We all know that. But God is always in the drought with us. We heard last week from John, you know, the, the world's advice about when things are tough, what you do, you get rid of all the people that are not feeding into you. You get inside yourself and you say, you know, I can do this. It's about the power of positive thinking. That's not what I'm talking about at all. It's about trusting God, about crying out to him, about finding him in the drought because he's always there in it with us. And those of us who have been Christians for a long, long time, we've been through some really difficult times, but we know that God is always in it with us. His promise to never leave us or forsake us is as true today as it was when it was written. He's a God of his word. Hang in there. He's with you. Even when you can't see him, when you can't hear him, when you can't feel him there, he's in it with you. I very deliberately read you verse 1 before going on to verse 41 because I wanted to remind you of what Elijah had to do. He was to go to the king who was baying for his blood. It must have been a really, really difficult thing to do. And he was to tell him, although it was good news this time, he was going to, God was going to send rain. But it must have been a terrifying thing that God, for Elijah to do. It's not easy being a prophet, especially one given the kind of messages that Elijah was called. The last time Elijah had seen Ahab was to tell him that there was going to be years of drought and it, he didn't give him an end time. He just told him until the Lord says it's finished. He's looking at a land that's in ruins, absolutely devastated land. There's been drought that's brought famine, it's brought disease, it's brought death. What would Ahab do when he saw Elijah? But Elijah just went. <laughs> he just took God at his word and went. And if you read 1 Kings 18, you'll find that on his way, he met another believer, a believer who was actually in the palace. He was head of the palace, but he was a believer. And his name was Obadiah. And he tells Obadiah that he's come to meet with the king. And he wants Obadiah to go and tell the king I want to, that we're going to meet. To, he wants to meet with him. Obadiah is a wee bit anxious about this, though, because he knows that if he goes to the king and tells him Ahab's here and wants to speak to you, and, Ahab, and Elijah disappears, then there's going to be big, big trouble for him. But Elijah promises he's going to stay there because he really wants to meet with the, with the king. And he does meet with the king. And that meeting leads to all the people of Israel being summoned, summoned together to a competition. Now, it's not normally what you would think. You know, we, we know that you don't put the Lord, our God, to the test. We know that's in scripture. But this was something that was God-ordained. So all the people of Israel were summoned to this meeting, including the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, the idol worshippers. And they've to come to Mount Carmel and they're to sort out once and for all which God is the true God. There has to be now a demonstration 
of God's power. So Baal and Asherah's prophets, they have to get to go first. You know, there's only one of Elijah, there's 850 of them, but Elijah says, no, you go first, you do it first. You choose which bull you want, here's all the wood, take everything that you need. Um, the only thing we're not having is matches. I don't think there was matches then, but you know what I mean. Um, and and the, the whole idea of it was that they were to call on God, God would set, their God would send the fire. And, and we know that from morning until noon, they're calling on Baal, come, 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 and light this fire, and nothing's happening. And then Elijah starts to taunt them a bit. Come on, he might be sleeping. Come on, shout louder. He's probably just, you know, gone for a wee afternoon nap. You know, just shout. Um, and then they even resort to cutting themselves. And it comes time for the evening sacrifice, and there's nothing, nothing happening on, on Baal's part. And then it's Elijah's turn. I expect you know the story. You know, he's so confident, he builds a trench around the sacrifice, and he starts with four, it says, four large jugs of water. And that must have been very precious water. There's been a drought. But he takes it, he pours it all over the wood so that it fills up the trench. And then he prayed to the true God of Israel. And God answered with fire, which consumed the sacrifice, consumed the wet wood and consumed the water in the trench. And the people end their spiritual drought that day and know that Jehovah is the true God. He's the only one who should be worshipped. Exposing the folly and the sin of worshipping Baal, that was only half of the mission that Elijah had that day. More important was bringing the nation back to God. Elijah's task wasn't just to reform the people, it was to revive the people, to get back to their love of God and to know that God was for them. Takes me on to point number three, drenching rain. But before we get to that, Elijah still has a work to do. To begin with, the false prophets who'd been leading the people of God astray, they had to be slain, all 850 of them. That's a bit you know, we, we, we struggle with that a little bit, you know, um, it's not how our minds think, but they had to be rid of the Baal worshippers, the Asherah worship, worshippers, those that were leading the people astray. See, in order to move on in God, it's not enough just to acknowledge that the Lord, he is God. You know, there is a sense where the demons do that, they know who Jesus is. But we have to deal with the sin in our own lives and we do that by taking it to the cross. We really need to hate the sin that's in our lives, to hate the evil and to remove it from our lives. And while I'm saying that, can I just remind you um, of what Graham said a couple of weeks ago that, you know, we, we are offering special prayer because sometimes people have things in their lives that they're not, they haven't even thought could be an issue for them. And we're offering special prayer for a special prayer ministry for anyone feeling the need for that. Don't be embarrassed about that, you know. Graham will tell you, he went through it himself. So, you know, if you, if, if, you want, if you want that, please go and speak to Graham after the service because that's on offer for you. Because judgment always prepares the way for blessing. We have to deal with the things that are in our lives before we can move on to the blessing. And then the prophet told the king to get himself food and drink for the rain was on its way. Now, 
it's really interesting. I hadn't realized this, but Baal was the rain god. Okay? Couldn't send fire, and he definitely couldn't send rain. Elijah didn't see any sign of rain as he's saying this to the king. Just pure blue skies. Something like we're having just now, which is really nice. Not a cloud in sight, not a single one, but he knows. God has told him he's sending rain, and he's trusting that. He's trusting his God. So as the king left the mountain, what do we see Elijah do? Just read it. He climbs Mount Carmel, and he gets on his knees. He began to pray for rain, just as he'd prayed for drought three and a half years previously. He knew what he had to do. He was to watch and pray. He knew how to persist in prayer until God sent the answer. And people of God, that's what, that's what we need to do. We need to persist in prayer. If we want to be close to God like this, if we want to have a faith that's like Elijah's, then we need to pay the price. We have to spend time in prayer. We see Elijah, the prophet of God, pay the price for his position in God because while others rejoiced in comfort, he's on his knees. There's no shortcut to the place of power. There's no other way that we can get power other than going to God and taking our time. It costs, but it has such amazing returns. Elijah could have um, just relaxed then, you know, gosh, it was some victory to see all that happen. And he could have just thought, I'll take a minute just to celebrate. But no, no, he drew himself apart and he prayed that God would bring the rain just as he'd promised. He trusted God and he prays and he sends his servant out to look. And his servant keeps coming back and saying, don't see anything but blue skies. But he knows that God has said he was sending rain. And it's not until the seventh time he comes back, he says, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand. It was minuscule. But Elijah knew that this was God sending his answer. And we read the clouds darkened and the rain began to pour down. And, and get, God gave him super strength to run so fast that he passed Ahab's um, chariot racing towards Jezreel, although he had left before him. It was superpower. And that's the story of Elijah. Well, up until this point, if you've gone to 19, it's, mm, yeah, look, read it for yourselves. He's, he's having a bit of a wobble. But, you know, it's great when we see that people of God, even in Scripture, have wobbles but God brings them back. But that's a story for another day. This is an amazing story. This is a man who's just after God's heart. But there has to be more to it than that if it's to mean anything to us today. Otherwise, we're just going from here saying, oh, that was a really great story about Elijah from way, way back. Isn't it good that God did things in those days? But it doesn't work like that now. Well, we have to ask the question. And I'm getting used to asking this question, Andrew. Andrew will know what it's going to be. Thank you. <laughs> See, you always have to rely on your wife. What can I say? So far, we want to know what difference this should be making to us. What difference does it make to me, to me, today, in Bowness? There's no doubt there's a spiritual drought in our land, in our town. Maybe that's how some of you are feeling today, right now in your own experience. But you know, God sent this drought to bring the people back to himself. 
He wanted Ahab to recognize who was the true God of Israel. But the drought in itself wasn't enough to do that. Seeing the devastation, the, the devastation wreaked on Israel was not enough to do that. Seeing the people around them sick and dying wasn't enough to do that. None of it was turning the people back to the Lord. You know, there's people in Bones just now who know that things are very wrong at the moment in our land. You know, um, Jess spoke about, you know, the hardship fund. Um, we know how the food bank is doing at the moment. You know, there's, there's a number of us involved in food bank and we know that people need it um, because there, there's, there's things that are just really wrong in our, our land. We don't see the government really meeting the need. We just see energy prices going up. We see as a choice between do we eat or do we heat our homes? And, and loads, of our, loads of our town is in that, in that position. And it's, it's a terrible, terrible position to be in. But it's not turning people back to God. Listen to the two verses, still in our chapter 18, but a few verses back from our reading. In verse 21 it says, this is just before he, he calls them all to Mount Carmel, calls all the people and all the people are there and he goes before the people and he says how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. That's the telling part of the verse. The people said nothing. They weren't sure which way to go. And our town and our land is like that just now. But now, like then, if we're to win our street, our town, our nation for God, people have to see evidence of God's power. Yeah. It might not be that he's coming and lighting a sacrifice, but they, he, they have to see evidence that God is at work. And to do that, God needs us. Yeah. He needs us to be as open and as loyal and as trusting as Elijah was to God. Yes, Elijah was a tremendous man of faith, but I asked you to remember what the Apostle James said about Elijah. He was a man just like us. He's not a different God for Elijah than he is for us. He's the same God. He's the same God. You know, it's easy to read scripture sometimes and to think that, you know, people thought differently at that time. They were, they were just, they were different. And, and actually, you know, all these people, you know, King David, all these people that we look at and we think, oh, they're the patriarchs of old, let's look at Moses. Gosh, they, were, they, were, they must have been superhuman. Come on, they couldn't be just like us. But you know what? They weren't. Elijah was human, subject to the same trials, the same failures as any one of us. Look at chapter 19. It's difficult. But he had learned to keep his eyes on God and to listen and to believe, even when his eyes told him, it's not happening. Even when he looked up and there was just blue sky and, and the proof was not there. We need to find God in the secret place. Nothing is more certain than this. What we do with God in private is far more important than we, what we do for God in public. Our hidden life prepares us for our public life. And that's not just true of the leaders. I did feel when I, when I read this, and it's actually, it's Warren Wearsby that has, has said that. Um, I did feel when I, I thought, oh, yep, yeah, that's something for us leaders to take on. 
because it's very, very important that we are spending time with God before we're coming to church and, and trying to give something of God to church. But, you know, it's for us all. It's for us all. It's really important that we know that what we do in private, our hidden life with, with God, is it's what's preparing us for our public life. When we go out in the street, when we meet our friends and our neighbours, when we speak with people, but, you know, unless we're willing to go through such disciplines as the brook drying up, the barrel of oil stopping flowing, and even the dead boy, we'll never, we'll never, we will never leave the victories of Mount Carmel. And Warren, it was Warren Wearsby that put those truths so succinctly for me. The Bible is so full of wonderful promises about waiting for God. And that's time when we come apart from everything else. We, we don't concentrate on everything else that clouds our minds, our daily lives, our work lives. Those of you who still have to work, I'm praying for you. Please let me encourage you to keep on spending time with God in the quiet place, on your own, so that you're always tuned in to what God is saying, even when you don't see the promises that you know he's made to you. They are coming. When you're looking for the rain and all you see is bright blue skies, hang on to the promise. The drought is ending. When we trust God, it always works this way. There's drought, there's demonstration, and there's drenching. Elijah believed what God had said, but he still needed to believe, he still needed to have faith to believe God, even when his eyes were telling him something different. I want faith like this, even when the answers don't seem to be coming as quickly as I want them to. I want faith to believe the promise rather than the proofs. You know, a few weeks ago, we had in opening our Connect group, John did it. Sounds like the praise John time this morning, and it's not really what I intended, but, but John said something that really, really spoke to me. He said, if you, you know, we, we talk about wanting more faith. But actually, what we want is more Jesus because it's Jesus that gives us the faith. I was so blessed by that. And, you know, that's the kind of, of faith that we want is because then we're seeing Jesus and we know that he is for us and he's with us. And that's, that's about spending time with him and being able to look at not the proofs, but what God is saying. You know, God isn't into quick fixes for quick fixes' sake. Sometimes we pray and he answers straight away, and we love those times. But it's not about quick fixes for quick fixes' sake. Seven times a servant went out to look for the rain, at the rain, for signs of the rain, but not until the seventh time was there even a speck of rain. But that tiny cloud was enough for Elijah to know rain was on its way. The promise was on its way. What was he doing all that time he was waiting? He was praying on his own. The biggest challenge for us is to keep on believing and keep on praying. We need to take our cue from Elijah. It's, it's, it's every bit as important for us today as it was for Elijah then. So don't allow yourself to be distracted or discouraged out of praying. Make up your mind to stay put stay put, stay praying believe out of that praying position God is bringing answers in the drought sometimes and I'm as guilty as anybody else we see nothing 
and we jump up discouraged. And actually, maybe we abort something that God was going to was going to be doing. Or we pray and then we get up to try and do something about it for ourselves. That's my downfall. You know, I'm praying, but I'll just help you along the way, Lord. Maybe, dare I suggest, that our seasons of drought can be prolonged because we refuse to stay in that position of prayer. Let me tell you, Elijah didn't experience something out of nothing in the way that it happened because at the first report of nothing being cited, he gets up and he starts to worship and he dances around and he prophesies more and he works hard at it more. No, he just stays praying. And he does that until blue skies are interrupted by a tiny little cloud. It was a little cloud, but it was a gigantic miracle that was coming. What would have happened if Elijah had dismissed that tiny cloud because it wasn't big enough? What if he challenged God that he needed a big cloud before he could see, he would think there was a big breakthrough coming? But thankfully, Elijah knew that God was saying, the answer's coming. The rain is coming. Don't overlook the small things that God is doing. Don't overlook answers to prayer that are small because they're too small. Small clouds produce big miracles. You know, people of God, the war has been won. It was won by Jesus on the cross. Victory through seeming defeat. But battles are still raging. Satan's still out there. And you know what? He's taken as many with him as he possibly can. But, but we're on the victory side. So hang on to that fact and keep looking and believing the rain is coming and not just the rain that's coming at five o'clock tonight I'm praying it's not but until it comes until the answers come keep on praying keep on watching keeping on keep on trusting that God will do what he's promised to do Amen Amen